Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Wednesday, September 2nd, and we've got your full 2020 ACC football preview. We go in-depth on eight ACC programs, touch lightly on the remaining six, and that's not adding up to 15. If you missed the Hokies preview from last week, be sure to check that out. There's also some news and notes we're going to hit on around the conference uh, that we're going to get to. But first, Tim, happy September. Yeah, happy September indeed. We've got college football this Thursday, so uh, things are going to start feeling a little more normal for your typical September, even though the volume will be low. uh, The fact that we're even able to see any football at all has got me fired up, Justin. It's got me fired up. I got to tell you, I'm just like, I'm kind of lost right now. Like I, I realized the other day, I hadn't scheduled the fantasy football draft, and I yeah, what's going the, on with that? Well, I looked at the calendar and I was like, "Oh my god, the season starts next week!" Like yeah. it just feels so far away. But I've been so out of touch. Like I just I haven't been watching ESPN. I've been watching mostly you know baseball, like sports. Now that they come on, I just I haven't been keeping up like I typically do. But w- what's the game on Thursday? I don't even know. I'd have to go look at the schedule. It's a lot of FCS teams, I want to say. Okay. Um, but like but the official I think college. It's, like it's the, two or three games, so it's not just one. You but know? the FBS doesn't um, really get kicked off till also next Thursday, right? I believe FBS is playing on Thursday. I'll have to confirm oh, that. Okay. Yeah, um, see, I'm so just let lost. me. Let it's me so, it's just so weird schedule. because now, you know, you got Virginia Tech and they're you know, not kicking off until the 19th and, you know, UVA only has one game game in September right now. It's just, it's a weird, weird start to the football season. But either way, I'm glad that, I'm glad that we're finally here. Yeah, me too. And so, yes, uh, you know, we got some FBS college football going on. The mighty South Alabama Jaguars going up against the Southern Miss Golden Eagles at 9 p.m. on Thursday. Um, and then the team that we saw last week, Central Arkansas, is going up against UAB. So, um, yeah, you can go get your FBS college football in. Now it's G5 games, sure. Um, Central Arkansas, obviously FCS, but hey, man, I will I will take anything at this point. And in every football game that I watch, I will consider a blessing. I can promise you that. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. It's uh, it's great. It's a great time to uh, to get back into football. You know. I- you know, one thing I wanna I wanna first off congratulate you, Tim, uh, on behalf of the Chowder and Grits podcast. We have hit thirty thousand total downloads. So, wow. Um, you know, we obviously had a seven month break there. Uh, so, you know, we would have hit <laughs> this hefty. a long time ago. But uh, yeah, no, I mean we've we've had quite the uptick. So, thank you to everybody that listens. Uh, big shout out. But yeah, happy to see that thirty thousand. I never thought we would get. It anywhere close to that when we started but i think no. too this is kind of strange i think this is our 75th episode so it's i'll take um, it i mean i'm not going to pretend like i'm going to do the math but um the numbers are better than what i anticipated they ever would be and you know the good thing is i think we would have kept doing it even if there were still only like nine people listening to our episodes well that's great um, you say that because literally for the first six months that's basically what we had <laughs> I think yep, we were averaging those were the good old like days. 15 to 20 listeners. And then, uh, you know, over the next 12 months, which is essentially where we're at now, if you take out the uh, the hiatus we had, so about 18 months, uh, basically in a year, we got about 29,000 downloads. 
Um, yeah. And in six I'll months, we had about a thousand. So, you know, again, special thanks to everybody that is uh, tuned in and listens and, you know, spreads the spreads the podcast cheer to everybody out there who's looking for something to listen to. So we appreciate, uh, appreciate the word of mouth. And, uh, hey, we're just glad to be talking about football right now. So. Amen. Let's Amen. Uh, let's talk about some positive news first for the Hokies. So again, we um yes we we did the Virginia Tech uh, preview last week, and so two things we didn't know: one, we didn't know if the NC State opener was going to happen, and turns out it's not. So that game got moved to the twenty sixth, which was a uh, bye week for both teams. So really, no harm, no foul. Just got delayed. That means the opener is UVA Virginia Tech uh, mm-hmm. for both schools. So that's going to be uh, very different. Um, it's typically the the last game of the season. This time, it's the first game of the season. So. Either way, let's get that Commonwealth Cup out of the way. Let's start the season on a high note. I'm I'm looking forward to that. And uh, good news today, Tim. Raheem Blackshear won his appeal and has been ruled eligible for the 2020 season, which is huge news for Virginia Big. Tech and what they're looking to do on offense. Yeah, you know, I mean, he he's your dynamic kind of playmaker that can do a whole bunch of different things. Um, you know, I think if you tasked him with it, he could totally be your feature back. Um, but, you know, guys like that, especially Cornelson, as I mentioned last podcast, just drooling. Cannot wait to get him on a jet sweep. Um, you're going to pass to him in space, run some screens. And, you know, I could see plenty of bubble screens in his, uh, you know, in his time here. Um, so it'll be a mix, you know, and having a guy like that that can impact multiple positions uh, and do so effectively. I mean, I, I know if you look at a, especially his game against Ohio State, I believe it was last year. Did a lot of different things and really, really successful as a wide receiver. So, um, and I say as a wide receiver, really catching passes out of the backfield. I think we're going to line him up probably more out wide than he had been at Rutgers, um, just to try to get the ball in his hands. But man, uh, couldn't have asked for a better guy. And he's basically the Swiss Army knife uh, for the Virginia Tech offense. And and honestly, I was not expecting this news. I was expecting the same old sad NCAA news. But hey, we got some positive NCAA news for once, and I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, this was a guy who was an honorable Big Ten mention in 2018 on a team that went one and eleven. That's a that's an accomplishment. So I mean, that's uh, that's saying something with his talent level and the fact that he was the one guy you probably needed to prepare for from a playmaking standpoint on that on that offense, and uh, he was still able to make plays. So. You know, he's somebody who I am uh, very much looking forward to seeing on the field. So that is uh, finally some good news on the transfer slash appeal front for the Hokies. Uh, you know, something else I wanted to mention, Tim, and I'm pretty jacked about this. I went out and bought it the second I got the email. Fan <laughs> cutouts in Langston. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking sharp in that cutout, man. Yeah, it. I'm not going to lie, I uh, took probably 25 to 30 photos <laughs> before, yeah. before yeah, I, I mean, landed You want to get that one. one right. Yeah, I was like, I went hat, I went no hat. I was like, way too much of the receding hairline showing there. Gotta go hat. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You know, if, if you haven't heard, there are uh, fan cutouts in Lane Stadium this year. 70 bucks for the season. You know, I, I believe it goes to the uh, Start Jumping Foundation, so... Um, that's correct you know good cause let's uh let's keep it going and let's fill up lane with a bunch of cardboard that leads me to the other thing tim so you know it was announced today 
I didn't like think this was really news, but I guess some people just kind of caught off guard that there's no tailgating at games, which, I mean, yeah, I just kind of assumed everybody knew that. Um, like, if you're not going to be at the game, why would you go there to tailgate? And I just kind of point to it because I was at a game last year. I don't get to go to all the games. I'll get to go to more now because I live closer. Yep. But the tailgating scene from the last time I was there had fallen off a cliff. I could not believe Ooh. the lack of tailgaters that I saw. And I was in the the uh, McComas parking lot. Like, I just right. couldn't believe how dead it felt. And it, again, it was a noon game. It was like Old Dominion. But either way, it didn't matter. I remember my first game as a freshman at Virginia Tech. I lived in East Ambler Johnston. I walk out the door. We're playing Northeastern. I don't even know where that is. Okay, that was I the remember game. that game well. well. I walk out the door, Tim, and I, I step right into the McComas parking lot. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is insane. That thing was packed. It was bumping. People were jacked. Last year, it just felt like, a, like honestly, like it felt like a FCS school. That's that's what yeah. it felt like in the parking lot. So I was kind of surprised to see all the backlash about the uh, tailgating, just given the circumstances. Again, don't don't complain. We have football. Yeah, but yeah, maybe just bring I, you know, step I th- your game I think up next Some year. of it. Yeah, some of it maybe because other teams have announced that they would allow tailgating, which I thought was strange, um, given that the whole point in keeping the fans out was to limit the spread of COVID, yada, yada, yada. Um, and, you know, I don't know whether that is because Virginia Tech's an on-campus stadium and not everybody has an on-campus stadium, so what can you really control? I don't know. I don't know. It's just I, I did. I thought it was a little weird, uh, the reaction. I can totally understand people wanting to get out there and tailgate, but I kind of thought it was a foregone conclusion that it wasn't going to happen. Based on, you know, everybody kind of knew the fans were going to be extremely limited. Um, and, and given how protected and protective Virginia Tech wanted to be uh, about its campus and the students, I mean, th- this was always kind of the, the given and expected outcome. Um, so, yeah, no real, no real beef for me on that front. Uh, so, as far as I know, the only stadium allowing fans at the moment is Clemson. And they're going to mm-hmm. allow 19,000 at home games. I think North Carolina is waiting to assess in October and later, but will open with no fans. So it's just one of those I things. Read and I, I read this yesterday. I don't know if this is accurate, but it seemed pretty official. Iowa State going to allow 20,000 fans in the stadium seems a little crazy to me. But um, Crazy that they would have yeah. 20,000 fans or... Yeah. yeah, yeah, crazy that they... Yeah, both... <laughs> Both, but you know, whatever. If the Cy- the Cyclone fans are crazy, man. Yeah, they're crazy. I guess love them football. Um, but yeah, either way. So obviously, it's going to be a little bit of a different year. You know, cardboard instead of people. You know, artificial noise instead of you know people screaming their heads off. But it is what it is. Uh, well, UNC's got to be happy about that. They already got a leg up on the competition, considering they've been pumping noise in Keenan Stadium for years. Well, yeah, it'll probably be louder than it's ever been there. If we're being honest, true. So true. Hey, that uh, that that sound can really reverberate off that aluminum, man. Yeah, there's no Big doubt. Deal. Um, so on that note, Tim, let's go ahead and jump into the ACC preview. So, you know, I think, um, like I said in the beginning, there's really eight teams we're going to focus on a little bit more in depth, and then we're going to talk about the uh, remaining six. Hokies, we previewed last week. Go check that out. 
Uh, so let's jump into it. And this is in no particular order. Um, I don't know why I have Florida State first, but that's that's who I've got. So that's who we're going to go with. Uh, Mike Norvell, new head coach, Florida State. So uh, I think the question is, have they finally found their guy? And, you know, he's only got four years of head coaching experience, but, uh, you know, replaced Mr. Fuente at uh, Memphis and went 38-15. and 15. Uh, runs an up-tempo offense, you know, similar to Willie Taggart, but it's going to be a little bit more pro style, um, right. a little bit more sophisticated than I think, uh, you know, Willie was running. But, you know, there's only four schools in the country that surrendered more sacks than Florida State last season in the FBS. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that seems to be just a, a yearly trend now is horrible offensive line play. So, you know, that is the uh, biggest question mark as far as, you know, what type of offense they're going to get from a consistency standpoint. You know, they should have James Blackman back. He's going to return a quarterback. Uh, he's had an up and down career. You know, if you said, like, who's the guy who leads FSU in passing and touchdowns and, you know, James Blackman was the guy and you'd, you'd probably be a little bit surprised by that. But that's just the kind yeah. of career that he's had. Um, but to his you know, defense, he's never really had protection as the uh, starting quarterback. So uh, they still have Tamron Terry, you know, big, uh, big play receiver, averaging almost 20 yards uh, per catch last year at 17 touchdowns. Um, you know, they've got some other experience coming back at wide receiver, uh, new defensive coordinator as well. So the Seminoles were absolute train wreck on defense last year, 90th in total defense, 119th in passing defense. You know, inconsistent play just continues to play the team on both sides of the ball. So that's the biggest thing I'm really looking for from Norvell is, you know, can he bring a consistent approach, you know, either himself or with his coaches and really kind of change the culture there at Florida State? Can he pull a Scott Satterfield? And I think that is the biggest question because it's not like Florida State doesn't have a tremendous amount of talent on both sides of the ball. They do. Right. They just haven't right. been able to put it together. So this is a really tough team to figure out. I think they'll be okay uh, this year. I think they'll be uh, a lot more consistent. Um, I think they will be better coached. But, uh, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on this team headed into the season? You know, I, I think they're, they have a potential to really turn it around. And I say that because teams that can improve offensive line play um, substantially year over year, can make the biggest turnarounds because to me the biggest detriment to a football team is a poor offensive line and it doesn't get any worse than what they had last year um you know i, I i've always sung the slim reapers praises you know even last year i remember pointing out at times you know james blackman's not bad not bad not bad you know you kept saying that you'd watch him play he'd look good at times but he would just get beaten up um you know and it, it i think he's got a chance to to really close out strong um have a have a year where he can be proud norvell known for having a home run hitting offense um and he's got the pieces like you mentioned to marion terry um one of the most dangerous downfield vertical wide receivers in college football period um full stop not just in the acc if they can get that quarterback some more time uh to give to marion more time uh to give the other wide receivers more time to get open i, I think they can do some damage obviously they've got to replace cam Akers, so that's going to be a question how do they do that um, you know, but if they can figure out that offensive line, you know, I think they got a chance. 
Um, and, you know, they had a nice transfer from FIU, uh, Devontae Love-Taylor um, at tackle. And if they can get that improvement at the most important position group on the team, I think they have a chance to, you know, uh, swing way above where people expect them to. Because like you said, uh, Florida State recruits their butt off. Um, and, and there's no doubt that there's not a lack of talent on that team. Yeah, and I mean, if if we take a look at their schedule, so they've got Georgia Tech at Miami, Jacksonville State at Notre Dame, UNC at Louisville, Pitt at NC State, Clemson, UVA, Duke. So, you know, I think the strong defenses are going to give this team trouble uh, because of that offensive line. So until they can prove that, you know, I'm unsure about games like Miami, Notre Dame, Pitt, Clemson, UVA. Like, those are all teams that should give them significant issues because they have strong defenses, especially up front. Yeah. So that's five games right there that I think are going to be challenging for them to win. But, you know, let's see if Norvell can do it. You know, you've got wins in Georgia Tech, Jacksonville State should beat Duke, okay? Um, I would expect them to take care of a team like NC State, but that's always an interesting matchup. And then... You know, Louisville, that's probably going to be a game in which you're in a shootout. Uh, UNC could be kind of similar. So, you know, I, I really kind of see FSU around 6-5, and five, maybe 7-4. and four. And if they finish better than 7-4, seven, seven and four, just go ahead and give Norvell ACC Coach of the Year. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree on that one. Um, yeah, I, But I think that's somewhere that they can get. I mean, I, I think that's attainable for them. Um, you know, when you change the coaches, you change the scheme and how much of the offensive lines inability to block was tied to the scheme, the personnel selection, you know, it, it seemed like their tackles weren't quite quick enough and they were down to those tackles. They didn't really have any other options. Um, how much are they able to improve that offensive line again is going to be the question for me. And if they can improve it to at least an average, uh, degree or get it punching average in the ACC, um, you know, seven, four is attainable. So let's jump over to Miami. You know, it feels like Manny Diaz somewhat won the offseason again, but, you know, can he get it to translate onto the field? So, you know, the one thing that he's done in his now second offseason is swaying talented transfers to join the team. So they got De'Eric King, a quarterback from uh, Houston. They got Quincy Roche at defensive end. But they're coming off a 6-7 and seven season, and a shutout loss in the Independence Bowl against Louisiana Tech. Okay. Absolutely disgraceful that that could ever happen to a program like Miami. So, you know, it's really hard to assess where they're at right now. You know, headlines and what's going on in practice. You know, if we believed what we were hearing last year, they would have won the ACC. That's just not where the program is at right now. So, you know, they brought in Dan Enos last year, or before last season, fired him after one season. So now they've got a new offensive coordinator, Red Ashley from SMU, you know, pro style out, spread offense back in. And, you know, it's another Florida team with offensive line issues. Miami gave up 51 sacks last season. That's most Ooh. in the Power Five. Um, yeah. And most of that line returns. They did get a transfer from Houston and Jared Williams. So... You know, we'll see what happens there. This is a case of, you know, experience and returning starters not really meaning a whole lot. You know, I'm sure it will, you know, hopefully those guys will get a little bit better. But 
God, giving up 51 sacks, you've got a long way to go. So, you know, that's something to monitor right there. They've still got Brevin Jordan at tight end, Cameron Kelly at running back, so they're going to pair pretty nicely with King. It's going to be an interesting group on offense. Um, And I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit with uh, Bryce Perkins last week at UVA, is, you know, is King a guy who can, you know, kind of cover up the, the ineptitude of that offensive line? So, He's a major upgrade at the quarterback position, both athletically and, you know, just from a pure talent standpoint. You know, defensively, you know, Miami is is typically a sure bet, but there are some question marks heading into the season. So, you know, we thought we were going to get the Greg Russo, uh, Quincy Roche combination, which, you know, Russo was second in the FBS in sacks last season behind Chase Young. He had 15 and a half. Roche had around 13. So that was going to be quite the one-two punch. But Russo decided to opt out. So it's just Quincy Roche uh, left uh, left holding the bag on the defensive line. You know, they uh, they only return one starting linebacker in uh, Zach McLeod. So the middle of the defense is going to be a question mark. Uh, I think on the defensive line, they've got enough experience coming back and you know, they do have a pretty nice little secondary with uh, DJ Ivy and Bubba Bolden holding it down back there. But, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on Miami as a whole? I think, uh, you know, defensively, they're going to have to need that to uh, carry them to be consistent. But if they can get this offense going, you know, they could be a dangerous team. Yeah, I mean, obviously questions on the front seven there. Um, Roche adds a lot. Uh, transfer, that's that's huge for them. You know, I, I wish he ended up in the maroon and orange, but... Um, you know, he's going to have his chance to show out uh, in, in a larger conference and do what he does. So you have question marks on the inexperience replacing starters. To me, obviously, if like I mentioned before, offensive lines can make or break teams. And, and last year they really broke Miami. I mean, if you consider they had DJ Dallas, who going into the season last year, a lot of people thought could be the best running back in the ACC. And they somehow managed to finish last in the ACC in rushing with DJ DJ's gone to the NFL. Um, you know, first order of business for Rhett Lashley is figure out how to have a running game again. Um, you know, Rhett, obviously a guy that I'm, I'm higher on than I was on Enos. You know, pro-style offenses, you know, you kind of always bite your tongue a little bit when you think about them. Um, you know, how effective are they nowadays? They're certainly not the offense that are in vogue in, in college football anymore unless you're Boston College or Pitt. Um you know, and it just didn't work out for Enos last year. Obviously, a lot of that was tied to the quarterback position and a lot of the failures of the quarterback position, again, circle back around, to the offensive line. Um, you know, Deer King, probably uh, one of the maybe top five quarterbacks in college football. Uh, what he did at Houston was just eye-popping. Um, and if you think about a perfect pair with him, Rhett Lashley's system, especially where the mobility of the quarterback comes into play, they could really hit it out of the park. Um Again, there's a lot to be shown on that offensive line. And unlike Florida State, where I don't think this is as much of an issue, I think there's a real culture issue in Miami. Um, you know, at least in Manny Diaz's first year, I can, you know, if I'm remembering correctly, remember scenes at the end of the Louisiana Tech game where they were getting absolutely blown out, players dancing on the sidelines, not paying attention. Um, and that was just, you know, one example of many last year that you could have pulled from. Manny's going to have to get that right. Um, the the culture's got to get straightened out. Six and seven last year just wasn't good enough, given the talent that was on that team. Um, I this is again one of those teams that could totally uh, punch above their weight class, 
finish second or third in the ACC. Um, but given what we saw, I'm not so sure I expect it. But again, it all it all hinges on that offensive line. If they can get that figured out, there's a lot they can do because that offense is a powder keg right now. And, and that's even without mentioning, obviously, Brevin Jordan, who's one of the best tight ends in college football. So a lot of options uh, at Rhett Lashley's disposal. And, and if that defense can figure it out along with that offensive line, hey, man, we could be talking about a second-place team in the ACC. Yeah, and I mean, it's... Uh... You know, we we should see the really strong quarterback play we would expect to see. Um, yeah. You know, schedule-wise, you know, I like Miami to win the UAB game. I think they beat Louisville, NC State, Wake, Georgia Tech. Okay, so that's five games right there. You know, games I expect them to win, I expect them to win Florida State. And, you know, I think they're I think they're better than UNC on paper. They should beat them. Toss-up games for me are Pitt, UVA, and Virginia Tech. And the reason those three are the toss-up games is because those three have far better defenses than anybody else they're going to face all season. So, um, And I think, too, from an offensive standpoint, Virginia Tech, of the three teams I just mentioned, have a better offense. I'd say they're a little bit more balanced, at least as we sit here today, than the other two. But I think Pitt and UVA have the ability to find their way on offense, you know, maybe earlier in the season than we think, but by mid-season, I think they they may be rolling uh, a little bit. So I think those are teams that may get a little bit more dangerous as we uh, go deeper into the season. So, you know, the real, the only surefire loss I see from Miami is it's Clemson, which is, you know, pretty much everybody's surefire loss. Um, but I think eight should, eight and three should really be kind of like the, all right, you know, the sky isn't falling as fast as we thought it was, if you're the Miami yeah. fan base. Uh, but anything less than 7-4, and four, you know, you got to start wondering if, if Diaz is going to get fired. And, I mean, 2020 would be a tough year to get fired. But if, if he doesn't go at least 7-4, and four, even if he does go 7-4, and four, if he loses four games, you know, that's, uh, that's going to be problematic. And I just think this team has way too much talent. Uh you know, I, I haven't understood how Miami and Florida State can suck so bad for so long. It's absolutely pathetic. It really yes. is. It drives me nuts to be a fan of a program <laughs> like Virginia Tech and to see the amount of talent that these two schools literally just piss away every single year for whatever reason, yep. whether it's coaching yep. and development or whether it's just, you know, not finding the right cultural fit. Like, they don't have to take some of these guys. That's the other thing. There's other guys waiting to go there. You know, they're in a situation, unlike a lot of schools, where they can actually be selective for the most part. And so, like, now there's a lot more opportunity. You know, Miami is a program that really kind of hangs their hat on the past, like, 30 years ago. These guys don't care about 30 years ago. But no. that's kind of where Miami's at right now. So until that starts to change, you know, I mean, seven and four, you know, I don't think that gets Diaz fired. I think it puts him on the hot seat for 2021. Um, eight and three, I think, buys him a little bit more time. Uh, but anything, yeah, worse than seven and four, then, yeah, there's, there's going to have to be some, some discussions around change in uh, South Beach. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the recruiting and the talent that they bring in. Yeah, it's interesting. People talk about whether or not ratings and recruiting are relevant or stars relevant. Um, 
you know, people looking at, at Virginia Tech and especially Virginia Tech fans not exactly totally happy with the way recruiting has gone. Um, you know, the, this is Miami. Miami's a top 20 pretty much annually recruiting class. And, and look at their performances since they've joined the ACC um, with no outright titles. That's absolutely hard to believe. Um, so if you're one of those guys that likes to say, oh, stars don't matter. I don't care about stars. Then, you know, Miami's kind of your test case or your, your, the, the case that proves your point. Um, this year has got to be different because this isn't just we're talking about talent in recruiting. That's We're, we're talking about proven Division One talent, talking about a guy at Houston in his last full season in 2018 that passed for 36 touchdowns with only six interceptions. Um, unheard of, not to mention adding 600-plus yards on the ground. One of the most sought-after transfers last year, um, adding one of the best, if not the best, defensive end transfer in Roche. Um, if Manny Diaz has got so much talent, he's out of excuses now at this point. So he, he's got to perform. He knows that. Um, pressure makes diamonds, and this may be a case where you see him rise to the occasion. The only thing that has you saying, obviously, um, can they, can they not? Culture problems are as bad as it gets, um, and all it takes is some dissent in the locker room before things really start to fall apart. So um, we'll see how Manny handles it and, and how they seem to be moving on in the beginning of the season, and that should tell the tale uh, for their projection pretty quick as far as wins and losses. But I'm like you, that 8-3, that and three, that's kind of where you have to get with a, a roster this talent-laden. So let's jump over to Clemson. Um, you know, class of the ACC – don't really have a whole lot to talk about here uh, to convince no. you that they're good. You know, Lawrence, uh, Trevor Lawrence, arguably best quarterback in college football as we sit here today, inarguably will be the first pick in the draft uh, next May or whenever they're holding the draft now. Uh, Travis Etienne, he's back. Uh, their biggest departures are T. Higgins to the NFL, which, by the way, T. Higgins' Madden rating was not kind to his speed. I don't know if you've taken yeah. a gander at that, but I was like, this... Yeah, I did. Not. I must have been watching a different T. Higgins. <laughs> yeah, that's, that I mean, was he my, seemed playing fast to me. That you was know, my but, thought, but, yeah. Um, I feel like they ran a vertical route with him every play. Justin Ross, you know, big loss for Clemson. He's out for health-related reasons, uh, possibly could be career-ending, which, uh, you know, we hope that's not the case, but um, he will right. not play in 2020, so... At receiver, you know, they still got Amari Rogers. Um, they've got Joseph Nada and Frank Lanza Jr., who were uh, going to be sophomores this year. And then uh, tight end Braden Galloway, who you might remember, he was uh, suspended along with uh, Christian, or no, uh, Dexter Lawrence, I should say, a year long suspension for the positive test before the college football playoff back in 2018. So uh, he's someone I would fully expect to come out, have a big year. He's also just enormous, six foot four, two hundred and forty pounds. So just big old. It's a big boy. Big old tight end target to throw to, and they're also replacing four offensive linemen. Which you know, if it was a regular school in college football, you'd be like, "Wow, this is absolutely devastating blow." But no, it's Clemson, so they just have you know the next group of five stars to roll in there and and kind of take over the reign. So uh, defensively. Tim, the biggest piece they're missing is Isaiah Simmons, and you know he's a guy who went 10th overall to the Arizona Cardinals. He uh, was basically just kind of a you know jack-of-all-trades defensive player, used him at linebacker, used him at safety, used him as a DB. Um, so you know from that standpoint, he's going to be a guy they miss. They return everybody on the defensive line um, and have to replace two linebackers and two more defensive backs. So if you recall, 
Um, they had to replace seven guys going into last season on defense, mm-hmm. and then they finished in the top ten in total defense for the sixth straight year. So um, as long as Brent Venables is there and he keeps reinventing the offense and what they do and keeps circulating, you know, this top talent that they have every year, you know, things are going to be uh, pretty good. And just to kind of blow through Clemson's schedule here, you know, interesting matchups I have, Miami at Notre Dame at Virginia Tech, but I've still got them going 11-0. Yeah, I mean, Clemson is good. End of preview. I mean, there's really not much else to go over there. Uh, you know, when you have Etienne and Lawrence coming back, it's hard to imagine any missteps on offense, even though they are technically replacing some pretty good wide receivers. Um, I just don't see anywhere this team could really falter. Um, if you look on defense, you see Brent Venable's name. You kind of know what to expect from him, no matter how many people they lose. No matter what the challenges they're facing, they seem to churn out top 15 defense after top 15 defense after top 15 defense. Um, and I don't expect this to be any different. You know, I, I guess I'm interested to see um, what we're going to see from KJ Henry, one of the best defensive end product, prospects in a while. Um, you know, it'll be cool to see what he can do. Um, obviously, they have you know Brian Brees, the number one recruit in the nation. That's that's a big deal um, at linebacker, but. You know, it's an embarrassment of, of riches again for Clemson, and it's hard to imagine this ACC season playing out and ending without them being perched at the top. Really, um, best case scenario for the ACC, um, not really the ACC from a ACC standpoint, but from a, just other teams in the ACC, is that if the rumors of Trevor Lawrence and uh, Dabo Sweeney going to Jacksonville are true, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, neither of the seasons even started yet. Um, that would be basically anybody's only hope to, you know, take over Clemson right now. That's how it feels. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you know, if you if they want something to watch for, you know, Jeff Scott going to USF was kind of interesting. Clemson uh, obviously employing a, a co-offensive coordinator uh, type arrangement, and, and Jeff was one of the co-offensive coordinators. I don't expect much to change, given that that was the arrangement. Um, but you never know. I mean, that's one of those interesting departures from a, a you know a, a college staff that doesn't really see a lot of departures from their uh, offensive and defensive coordinators. So you know that's always something to look for. But when you're sitting back there with Trevor Lawrence and Etienne, I feel like you and I could go out there and call a decent enough game. Um, you know, Trevor hand the ball to Etienne and then throw it would be my game plan. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Creative. Thanks. It's creative. Um, yeah. Notre Dame, so our uh, guest member of the ACC in 2020 and uh, 15th member. But, hey, we're getting that TV TV money split between the other 14 teams. So I would imagine That's that right, pay uh, up. the uh, TV or at least the ad space for these college football games is going to be quite lucrative for the networks as uh, yeah. nobody's going to the games in person. So I bet the ratings in college football this year are just going to be absolutely massive. So um either way you know speaking of which not to derail us too much but that central arkansas austin p game on on saturday i would be curious to know how that you know how that fared against other uh fcs teams going head to head on espn's networks because you want to talk about a nation that was starved for college football the entire twitter timeline uh you know that i have was nothing but Austin P Central Arkansas tweets. Hey, I mean, Austin in P. what in what timeline pee. did yeah? Let's go P. That's right. In 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 what timeline did you ever think that you'd be sitting there um, on a Saturday night 
in September, well, almost September, um, the end of August, and having your timeline flooded with the Austin P governors versus the Central Arkansas, I don't know, what are they, Bears? I I don't even know. Yeah. They're purple and black. Both teams, great uniforms, I got to say. Um, but yeah, what, what, what world will we think that we would actually see that? And that's what was happening. So the ratings for all of these college football games, given that the overall number of college football games is going to go down, has got to be just, you know, projected to be astronomical. Well, first, you know, shout out to Austin P, Clarksville, Tennessee. That's my wife's hometown. So, you know, boom, let's go P. Secondly, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about ratings wise. Um, you know, I can't remember what the comparison was to the first Major League Baseball game, but it like blew the NBA playoffs from the last five seasons out of the out of the water as far as like a ratings number, which for baseball yeah. is incredible. That's huge. So uh, That's baseball huge. doesn't get ratings like ever. So, um, you know, That's a I don't shame. watch baseball. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't know what. Uh, what that game did ratings wise, but I'm sure it was higher than it would have been otherwise, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, getting back to it a little bit, um, Notre Dame. So yes, you know, new offensive coordinator this year, you know, they had chip long bolt to old Rocky top as we're on the topic of Tennessee. Uh, he's going to go be the, uh, offensive coordinator for, or really just an offensive assistant, I believe for, um, what's his face. Tennessee head coach, drawing a blank. <laughs> Anywho, um, you know, in steps former Notre Dame quarterback Tommy Reese as the offensive coordinator. So 28 years old, uh, got to love it. You know, you should remember Tommy Reese, a quarterback at Notre Dame. Um, and he's got Ian Book, who returns as quarterback. And he has had an up-and-down career at Notre Dame, but – very solid quarterback, uh, probably behind the best offensive line in the country. So that's really the thing that stands out with Notre Dame is just big old hog mollies that, you know, oh, yeah. can just block the, yeah. the C from getting to their quarterback. So they're built for smash mouth football, uh, you know, needs a good game management quarter, quarterback. I think Book is a little bit more than that, uh, which should uh, set up the offense well. Jeremy Pruitt's the Tennessee name, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy okay. Brooks, Tennessee head coach. It was bothering me. Okay, so who breaks <laughs> out as the top running back is anyone's guess. So Jafar Armstrong, you know, hasn't been able to stay healthy, but he's probably the most talented back on the roster. Others, other guys, you know, maybe one of the better names in the ACC, Sebo Flemister and Jameer Smith. Um, honestly, looking through Notre Dame's roster, like I stayed away from a lot of guys because I have no idea how to pronounce their names. Like the yeah. the the names on that team, like where do they get these guys? Like I don't, I can't say the names. I don't know how to say anybody's I, name on Notre Dame. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of name action happening on that team. There's no doubt. But, you know, my, my biggest question mark on offense is the receiving, receiving core. So Chase Claypool, Cole Komet, they're both gone. Komet's a tight end, went to the Chicago Bears. Claypool, I believe, went to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, but limited production returning. Um, so that that's a big question mark. Defensively, you know, secondary finished fifth in passing efficiency last season. But, uh, you know, a lot of change back there. So they've got a new cornerbacks coach replacing three starters. Uh, defensive line should be pretty solid. Um but, you know, I don't think uh, 
I don't think this D-line is, you know, necessarily one of the more dominant D-lines in the conference. You know, honestly, looking at Notre Dame, I wasn't blown away. Um, Right. You know, I think they've got talent on the team. I think they can certainly come in and, um, you know, win some games in the ACC. I think they have one of the easier ACC schedules of any team. I, I would put their schedule as the second easiest to... Uh, only behind North Carolina, to be honest with you. Uh, and that's even with Clemson on there. So we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, what's what's your assessment on the old Fighting Irish? Yeah, kind of the same thing. You know, I'd, looking at what they have coming in, what they have coming back, I'm not quite as infatuated with Notre Dame as some people, especially the media can kind of go overboard with Notre Dame at times. Um, I'm not seeing a dominant Notre Dame team here. And and maybe it's because I'm looking at it with slightly biased glasses and that I, I hardly ever want to give Notre Dame credit. Um, but there's not just a lot to love. Um, th- there's not enough provens on the team like you would like to see, um, in my opinion, at least. Um, you know, you mentioned Jafar Armstrong. I think that's obviously key. Um, I, th- I think he is going to be the number one back, you know, even though he's not exactly torn it up. You know, he's got kind of the size that you want in a prototypical workhorse. So, you know, you're six foot, six foot one, 220, 225. Um, great size to go be that number one guy. Um, and, and, you know, I love to see guys that played for head coaches come back and be offensive coordinators. And Tommy Reese is going to take over the reins, as you mentioned, with Long leaving and, and going on to, to Rocky Top. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I can remember when Tommy Reese, because it was like four years ago, I feel like, when he was, you know, throwing the rock over there at Notre Dame, and, and now he's going to be calling the plays. So that's going to be interesting to see how that how the offense evolves. Um, you know, you would expect to see focus on the uh, the passing game coming from a quarterback like that. But, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how all of this stuff plays out for Notre Dame. I just, I don't love them, I think, is my big takeaway here. Um, especially not when you compare them to, let's say, another team kind of projected to finish, I guess, underneath them or about the same level in Miami you know as much as it pains me to say this as a hokey I see a lot more to love on Miami's roster than I do here with Notre Dame but good coaching can make up for a lot of that and you know I don't think there's any doubt that Chip Kelly's a a good coach yeah you know I I mentioned you know they've got a new offensive coordinator new cornerbacks coach questions at receiver no true lead back almost an entirely new secondary that's a lot of question marks heading into a season. So, again, they've recruited well. <clears throat> I don't think anybody's saying they're not well coached, but uh, I certainly don't think they're a lock to be in the final game. But if you take a look at their schedule, you know, the the games that really stand out as wins for Notre Dame to me would be Duke, South Florida, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Boston College, and Syracuse. So yeah, that's six games right there that is pretty much what you would consider a lock. Uh, surefire loss for me is Clemson. I mean, it's a game I would be tuning into, but I, I just don't think this team matches up very well with Clemson. Um, games that I'm interested to see what happens Louisville. I don't think Louisville has enough defensively to, uh, to win, but you know, who knows? They've got a puncher's chance for sure. North Carolina, you know, are, are they ready to kind of start taking that next step uh we'll see we'll talk about them in a little bit you know florida state you know i I guess they could they've certainly got the talent can they put it together you know 
I, I don't think there's any question they could certainly beat Florida or beat Notre Dame uh, if they were having a good day. And then Pitt, I think Pitt's the one game where I think might give Notre Dame some problems. Uh, just yeah, from a I do too. Defensive I standpoint. do too. I think you know the matchup there isn't flattering. Uh, for Notre Dame, and I think that's a you know the Pitt's a team that can get anybody in this conference at any time. Oh, no doubt. Um, it, it's just the way they're designed, and and with that defense, you know that's that's the great equalizer. I also realized I said Chip Kelly when I meant Brian Kelly, so I just want to say Brian Kelly. Clearly, Notre Dame's head coach, Chip Kelly, uh, a guy. Listen, we're talking about a lot of teams year. here, a lot of coaches. Like, <laughs> you know, you're yeah, I, I had Chip Kelly on the mind, teams. obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, Brian Kelly, obviously a good coach. Um, and nobody questions the, the, the coaching uh, for Notre Dame, nor should they. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they can do. Like you said, given some matchups, I don't think they match up favorably with Clemson at all. I think Clemson's too explosive. But then again, who in the ACC does? Um, and, you know, nobody. But then you're going through the games and, and you're seeing that pit game um, kind of sticking out at you, saying, hey, they might get tripped up here. And um, Louisville, you know, certainly a team, I think, that is, seems to be kind of a media darling at the moment. But for good reason, Satterfield, an incredible coach and an incredibly talented team, especially on offense, um, you know, you could see this as seven to eight win Notre Dame team. Yeah, and I mean, if to me, you, if you think to the Louisville Notre Dame game last year, like Louisville was in that game for about two and a half quarters, if my memory is serving me right. Um, but then, you know, Notre Dame just had a little bit too much. But yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. I think. Uh, you know, it's, it's, again, like I, I feel like I'm being a little too harsh on Notre Dame, but I just don't love them. Um, right. And if they had a little bit more of a difficult schedule in the ACC, which again, it's the ACC. I know what I'm talking about here. Um, you know, there's not that many difficult games that you could have, but you just get teams like Pitt thrown at you or Florida State that are just complete. You know, they're they're essentially just like a, a Mike Tyson punch coming out of nowhere. You know, you might not see it coming, and then you turn around, you get smacked right in the face, and you've lost. And so that can that yeah. can happen. That happens in the ACC. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what Notre Dame can do. I do think I'd be surprised if they had any more than three losses. I'd be somewhat surprised if they did have three losses. You know, if we sat here today and, and looked at them. I think they're going to have two. So it's Clemson yeah. and somebody else. And who that somebody else is, you know, we'll see. But, you know, I think if uh, another team is trying to get into that game, they're going to need to have two losses or less and hope that, you know, they hold some kind of tiebreak over Notre Dame. So that's kind of how I yeah. see it setting up. And I, I don't think it's any accident that Notre Dame got the schedule that they got. Because no, of course. Is ratings. UNC getting the schedule they got any accident? No. No. So, yeah, I mean, there, there were a couple that things that were predestined before this even, uh, before the schedules even got revealed, and that was that if Notre Dame was coming along, uh, they would be getting a, a week slate of ACC games, and, and everyone knew Swafford was going to protect UNC. Um, it, it's what he's been doing for years. You know, and, and back to the subject of Notre Dame, I think – where we could see um, maybe a weakness is going to be some of the, the pass rushing that they've lost. Uh, Khalid Kareem, Julian Akwara, and Jameer Jones all gone. Um, you know, But Adi Ogundeji, 60-year guy, 
he's going to need to to really amp up the pass rush because you know you talk I talked earlier about how offensive lines not being good can really really uh, be detrimental to your football team but I mean it's a battle of the trenches trenches and you can say that about the opposite side too about the defensive line in this conference especially um, when you have good quarterback seemingly everywhere um, if you can't pressure the quarterback with your front four front three you're going to have issues. And I think that's one of the things that Notre Dame is really going to have to prove early on in the season is that, yes, we can get pressure rushing four. Yes, we can get pressure rushing three. Um, you know, it, that's to me is going to be the most important thing for Notre Dame as far as position group goes. So, um, again, I, I say seven wins. I, I think Notre Dame gets only seven wins in the ACC, and I think they're going to find it more difficult. And I think the media is going to find it more difficult than they expect for Notre Dame. Um, you know, given that they were in the college football playoffs not too long ago, but here we are. And I think the ACC as a whole uh, is a bit underrated. And, you know, a lot of teams talk about and they look at our schedules at the end of the year and they say, you know what, Clemson's great, but who wouldn't be great playing that ACC slate? Um, we're going to get a test case now. Let's have Notre Dame come in here and play a full ACC slate for once and see how this works out. So Pitt is a team we've talked about. I think this is a team that has the potential to wreak havoc in the conference. Yeah, no doubt. Because I think they have a chance to be really good. I don't think they're going to be the number two team at the end of the day, but they're going to be the team that just ruins your season. And I think that's that's Pitt this year. And so, you know, it's going to be year two under Mark Whipple. You know, I think Kenny Pickett, he had just over 3,000 yards last year. Completed 62% of his passes, which in today's game is like, eh. And he only had 13 touchdowns. So, you know, he's got to take the next step. I think he will. I don't think he's going to take, like, a quantum leap forward and have, like, 30 touchdowns and 4,500 yards passing with a 75% completion percentage. Sure. But I think he's going to take that step from game manager to maybe more of an Ian Book type of level. Uh, maybe not quite to that level, but, you know, in the ballpark. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Pickett and his development. I think the run game, again, is a question mark. You know, you know, don't have uh, Quadriolison or Darren Hall in the backfield any longer. Didn't last year. Uh, it looks like A.J. Davis is going to be the lead back again. He had about 500 yards rushing last year. You know, receiver-wise, they lost Maurice French. Uh, but, you know, they do return Shockey Jacques-Louis to Sear Mack and Jared Wayne, so they should be okay at receiver. Um, <laughs> yep. They're, Shockey Jock. Shockey Jock. Their, uh, their O-line was up and down last year, but it's a fairly experienced group coming back. So, you know, again, you should expect some improvement there. The D is where they win. So, yeah. uh, of course... You know, they did get a big old blow when Jalen Twyman opted out of the season. You know, that's really a guy who could have gone pro and been probably first or second round pick. Um, It was a surprise he came back. Uh, Wasn't necessarily a huge surprise that he opted out, but, you know, he's one of the next great defensive tackles to, to that will go to the NFL out of pit. So the guy's just an absolute monster. So, you know, with no Twyman, uh, they returned seven starters. Uh, that, you know, this is a defense. They ranked first nationally in sacks, ninth in tackles, 11th in pass efficiency rating, 12th in rushing yards allowed, and 15th in total yards allowed. So, yep. dominant defense. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, they, they lost Rashad Weaver and Keyshawn Camp before the season started last year on that defensive line. Weaver was a guy who had six and a half sacks and 14 tackles for loss in 2018. Camp had two and a half sacks. So that's essentially like getting two new players on their offense, defense for 2020. Uh, that will certainly help kind of ease the impact of losing Twyman. So, again, very talented defensive line. I'd say linebacker is probably their weakest defensive group, and it's really just because of inexperience. You know, they've got a pretty good linebacker there in Chase Pine, uh, but after him it's uh, some question marks, and then, you know, the secondary might be the best in the ACC of any team. You got oh, no doubt. You got Paris Ford and DeMar Hamlin, which – both of those guys could have gone pro last year. Uh, they will be in the NFL next year. And, uh, you know, on top of them being good, they're just uh, kind of mean, too, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what you want out of yeah. your strong and free safety. Like, I mean, I think it's probably within the conversation that they say those two are the best safety duo in college football. Yeah. Um, you go back to look at the stats, both almost tallied 100 tackles each yeah they had 180 um, combined tackles last season just over 184 yeah. picks and 21 pass breakups insane combined. and like you said they did it with a swagger those are two safeties that know they are extremely good and you know you can play a lots of different coverage when you know you've got two all-stars back there in a cover two um playing over top so you know it's, honestly you're looking like, at pit i i read about pit uh a couple of months ago and like I saw Paris Ford in the preview and I was just like, well, this is a typo. He went pro. And then I was like, Oh, he's actually back. So yeah, he's a guy who just, the, the thing with the thing with this defense is they take on the personality of their head coach and Paris Ford is the best example of that. (laughs) So, I mean, he could literally be ejected at any point. Like, the guy yeah. plays, like, his head's on fire every single game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to love it, man. I mean, that kind of passion is huge. And, um, you know, you, you got two, like I said, such talented, talented players out there in safety. Um, completely changes all of the defense. Not that they needed any more help on defense, but you've got a pit team that is built like every other pit team. Defense first, strong defensive line. Um, you know, it, it's almost good that they're slightly handcuffed by their offensive quality, or we'd be talking about a runaway second place team here. Um, can Pickett take the step up? Like you said, he doesn't need much of a step up for this team to be very successful this year. Um, you know, consider if, if he was able to give them an Ian Book level of consistency. And Ian Book, not the most consistent, but that's all you really need to do for Pitt. Um, you know, I think they have enough weapons at wide out to make Kenny Pickett's job a little bit easier, um, even though Maurice French is gone, um, one of my favorite players, you know, all over the field. Uh, you know, you're looking at Taysir Mack, I think has got a high ceiling. Um, there are enough playmakers where I think they're slightly let down is on the offensive line. And I only say that because, I mean, could you imagine if they had an offensive line this year? Uh, the sky would be the limit. And, and they do have a decent one, but I'm talking about an elite pit offensive line, just a road grading, run blocking offensive line. They could completely just wear teams out on defense and wear them out on offense. Um, you know, and that's what Pitt loves to do. So I think they're going to be slightly let down by what's going on on offense there. But man, there's a lot to like about this pit team. And like you said, Twyman going to the NFL. I mean, 
goodness gracious. I mean, could you imagine that defense with him thrown back in? Yeah. Um, it's crazy to think about. Well, th- this pit team kind of reminds me of a 2006-2007 type Virginia Tech team to where their defense is so good, yep. but the offense is just not really there for whatever yeah. reason. So, you know, this is a team I think, you know, 8-3 and three is realistic. Um, yep. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they went north of here, and I'm not going to be surprised if they go south, uh, just because it's Pitt. You know, they're just they're one of those teams where it's just like, what team was that that showed up? And then the next week right. they beat Clemson. You know, and so this is this is a team where I do give a puncher's chance of beating Clemson because of their defense, and I think anything can happen. Right? Uh, right. I don't think it will happen, but. I think there's a chance. So if I was going to put money on it, I would look hard at the spread and take a gander um, if, you know, whenever that game's going to be played. You know, they're must-win games. Austin P, Syracuse, NC State, Boston College, Georgia Tech. I don't really see them having issues in any of those. Louisville game could be interesting, but I think that defense, you know, on top of Louisville not having a very good defense, Pitt should win that one. Miami, who knows what's going to happen with them. You know Notre Dame, uh, Florida State, and Virginia Tech. I mean, that that's going to be where we find out what Pitt is because that is going to be, yeah. you know, the brunt of their schedule that defines their season. I mean, nobody's going to blame them if they lose to Clemson, but if they go two and three in that five game stretch that I just mentioned, then you know they're going to be like, well, same old Pitt, you know. So. They've got to be able to break through. Uh, they're certainly talented enough on defense to beat anybody. Like you said, the offense is holding them back. But, you know, this could be the sleeper team in the ACC this year. So don't uh, don't sleep on Pitt. I think they do have one of the tougher ACC schedules um, out there, uh, which I think is going to kind of be their biggest hurdle. Um, because, I mean, you know, Louisville, Miami, Notre Dame, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Clemson, like that's a, that's – those are the best teams in the ACC, you know? So yeah, yeah. Um, that, it's going to be a, a challenging season, but I think it's where one where eight and three could actually happen because they're that good defensively. Yeah, I agree. I mean, eight and three is possible. I'm thinking more along the lines of seven and four only because of how difficult their schedule is. Um, but it, it, look, I mean, it, Pitt is built just like a Pitt team that you would expect to, you know, to show up. They're going to knock you around on the defensive side of the ball. And I think the comparison you made to those mid-2000s Virginia Tech teams, Virginia Tech defenses, is is pretty poignant. I think you're you're, you're nailing it on that one. Um, and honestly, even though they're pit, they're a lot fun to watch on defense, man. They play so well. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see what Narduzzi is able to get out, out of his bunch. But, I mean, this is a team that you should expect to be in just about every game almost until the bitter end. And it's just going to be a question of, okay, the defense is going to keep them in a lot of games, and the offense is going to take them out of a few. I'm afraid. Um, it feels you know, like they're they a team had, where if they can get to like 24 points, they have a really good chance of winning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But what we've seen from Kenny Pickett thus far to this point, you watch him, you just maybe don't think he has what what he needs to carry the offense in the way that it would need to be carried for them to finish second um, in the ACC. I just think that's a little high for them. Um, but when you have a defense, anything's on the table. And, and, you know, this is as good as it gets in the ACC. 
So let's jump on over to Louisville, and they were really the surprise of the ACC in 2019. Eight wins, uh, coach of the year uh, for uh, Mr. Satterfield, and really fun offense to watch. Uh, He clearly got buy-in from guys who certainly weren't responding to Bobby Petrino. We saw a bunch of transfers and... You know, he basically took the approach going into last season of, you know, I'm not really even going to name positions. We're just going to go out there and play football type of deal. So uh, certainly an interesting way to do it uh, and amazing how a coach and his staff can turn it around. And, of course, uh, I'm excited to see the weekly video of a uh, Louisville assistant who's all battered <laughs> and bloodied after, you know, taking a, a headbutt uh, intentionally uh, off a helmet uh, in a huddle to get his guys jacked up. So, um yeah, it, they're they're a different breed down there. So, um, you know, offensively, I think this team should be strong. You know, it's not a complicated offense. It's fast paced. It's one that focuses heavily on the run. You know, you've got Mikhail Cunningham, who you know enters the season as the lead quarterback at twenty two TDs, five picks last year, rushed for almost five hundred yards. It's uh, very dynamic player. Couple of you know issues staying healthy last season, so that's something to watch. And then of course you got Javion Hawkins, who uh, you know had over 1,500 yards rushing in his sophomore season, coming off of a total of eight in his freshman year, um, and and that guy just kind of you know toward took the ACC by uh, storm at the running back position, and then of course Tutu Atwell, who's probably the most electric player on their offense, uh, is back and he led the ACC last year with 98 receiving yards per game. They also have Dre Fitzpatrick and Marshawn Ford as uh, other top targets on the offense returning. Really their biggest loss on offense was Makai Becton. And he, uh, oh, no doubt. he went to join the other skyscrapers in New York city as uh, now the Jets starting left tackle. So um, if you don't recall, I think the guy's like seven foot 10. So um, yeah. A- athletic freak. I think had one of the, strongest combines i've ever seen from an offensive lineman yeah um hard to understate how good makai becton was so he is um he is gone but otherwise offensive line that's intact defensively tim uh they were bad last season so gave up about 500 yards uh gave up over 500 yards in six games um only returning one defensive lineman returning forward linebackers and two defensive backs so a lot of departures a lot of young guys coming in uh and i'll just give you a john madden quote because i think it deserves one they're going to have to outscore their opponents to win and (laughs) what do i mean is they're going to need to score a lot of points in every single game in order to have a chance because that defense is going to bleed points so um it's going to be an interesting year for louisville you know i think um Again, I'm not worried about uh, coaching here. I'm not worried about, you know, culture and player buy-in and things like that. I just still think it's a team that uh, overperformed last year. You know, I think they may come down a notch uh, in 2020, um, but we'll see. You know, it's it's a team where if you've got an offense like that, you certainly have a chance in, in more games than uh, than you wouldn't. Yeah. No, I totally agree. You know, and this is a team that is really picking up steam from, I think, the media as far as a darling. And a lot of it has to do with what was built last year in such a short timeline. You know, we were thinking a three, two to three year rebuild in uh, in Louisville and in, in what Satterfield was able to do is, you know, 
uber impressive. And I think a lot of the media has looked at that and said, well, look at look at what they did last year. Imagine this year. The sky is clearly the limit. And, and like you said, the defense, if you look at the defense on paper, it doesn't seem to have improved a whole lot year over year. Um, there were a lot of issues last year, gave up a ton of yards. And it's hard to say that that's going to be completely remedied in one year. Now, should we see improvement? Sure, but it's it's, it's easy to improve from worst to to next worst. Um, and, and I don't know that I see enough on paper, anything's possible on the field, from Louisville to say they're going to address their biggest concern, which is defense. Um, Makai Becton, obviously a hu- huge loss to lose your left tackle for a team, especially when you have a road grader, grader power left tackle like Makai Becton in a team that you know are just going to run the football down your throat, which is what they do. I mean, on offense, they're really built around you know the two little guys, as you mentioned, Tutu Atwell uh, and Javian Hawkins, both extremely talented, one at running back, one at wide receiver, um, really can do just about anything. Um, and, and just put up numbers on offense that are almost obscene, given the fact they're not trying to really trick you. You kind of know what Louisville is going to try to do on offense. They just do it really, really, really well. Um, blocking, as you would expect in Ledford's schemes, done really well. Uh, Dwayne Ledford obviously spent time as an offensive line coach at NC State before becoming offensive coordinator there at Louisville to work for his buddy Scott Satterfield. And, um, you know, it shows they do everything really well. Now, the, the thing is, this year they won't sneak up on anyone. Um, you know, we, we know what to expect from Louisville, and they're going to throw their fastball, and they're going to tell you to hit it. They're going to try to run it down your throat. And, you know, if, if last year is any testament, we should expect them to be able to do it fairly easily, considering all the talent that's returning. Um, but like you, I just think the holes on defense might be too big. Um, to really get to that second, that third place in the ACC where you see some people picking them, I think, in that third slot. Um, I see this as a 6-7 to seven win Louisville team. Um, you know, I, I don't know where you see them. But, um, yeah, I just the, the defense is just – you'd like to see more improvement on paper, and it's just not there for me. Yeah, I think, you know, where I'm seeing Louisville ranked right now just isn't realistic – you know, it's it's putting false expectations on the program. Like, you know, maybe they're rated that high from an offensive standpoint, but they are they are very bad defensively. And until we right. see an improvement, like I, I'm just going to leave them there. So, you know, I I see uh, I've got their season kind of segmented into must wins, most likely losses, and then toss up. So their must wins are Western Kentucky, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Boston College, and Wake. I think they're going to lose one of those. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe like Boston College gets them. Um, yeah, I could see it. You know, most likely losses Notre Dame and Pitt. I I don't think they match up well against those two. And then toss ups, and you know, some of these I lean more heavily to losses than others. You know, Miami, Virginia Tech, UVA, and Florida State. So, um, Florida State, UVA um, are on the road. You know, Miami, Virginia Tech are at home. I think. All of those teams that I just mentioned, except for Florida State, are better overall than yeah. Louisville on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I think Louisville might have a better offense than UVA, but you know, defensively, UVA is eons ahead of where Louisville needs to be. Oh and yeah, I just think you know we're gonna see those. They're gonna lose three of those four. I don't know who the three are, but. Um, you know, I'd be surprised if they're blowing any of those teams off the field. And 
on the flip side, those teams are unable to score any points on the defense. I just don't see it. So, you know, I think six or seven wins is a good uh, a good place for, for Louisville. I mean, they could win more, but I think that's going to be a stretch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're, again, good story last year. I think they're still going to be competitive this year. They certainly have a, a puncher's chance in a few games, but... You know where they were uh, beating some teams last year. I don't. I don't think that's going to to repeat again in twenty twenty. Yeah, and make no mistake. I mean, if you have a Louisville team that in year two is coming out against this ACC slate and putting up a winning record, it's a pretty good accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, um, hey, you know, they, they you the fact that we're even talking about six or seven wins this year, where we yeah. thought they were entering last season. I mean, we wouldn't be sitting Crazy. here if they had won two games last year and saying that they're going to win six or seven. There's no way. No, absolutely not. You know, that's a testament to what Satterfield's done there. Um, and, and yeah, you expect Louisville to go out there, and, and what may work against them is you kind of – the balance isn't there. I don't I don't really know if the balance is there on offense. They're a little too run heavy. Um, and, and it's possible to scheme that out to a certain extent. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what – opposing ACC defensive coordinators do to kind of attack that offense that at times seemed unstoppable, uh, to to put it lightly. So we'll see if that's able to be slowed down. But, um, yeah, six to seven wins for me. Let's go to Virginia. So Bronco Bronken. Bronco Mendenhall. You know, he certainly has UVA moving in a positive direction. You know, they've pretty much gotten better every single year. Eight wins last year, Coastal Division title, beat Virginia Tech for the first time in 15 years. Uh, that's a tough resume to top for 2020, and I don't think they will. Of course, there's no divisions this year. Um, I don't think they're going to be top two in the ACC. Um, and they're replacing you know, their biggest playmaker on offense, uh, you know, in the last 15 years and Bryce Perkins. So, you know, he accounted for almost 8,000 total yards in the last two seasons. Uh, You know, they also lose a guy like Joe Reed, um, but they do have a stout defense. But, you know, first let's talk about the offense. You know, their their new quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, (sighs) I think he's going to be a good one. Yeah. And I I don't, (laughs) I know Virginia Tech fans don't want to hear that, but, um, I didn't watch, I didn't, I didn't know a whole lot about him. And then I started like reading about him a little bit and, you know, watching some of his highlights in his film. You know, I'm not a film guy. I just, you know, I'm watching highlights just like any other fan. Right. But he's mobile. He's athletic, um, different type of quarterback than Perkins, but he's certainly somebody who can uh, hurt you with his legs and, um, a little bit more, uh, of a run through you type than Bryce Perkins was. So uh, I think he is actually a really good fit to replace Perkins. Um, You know, he arrived in early January of 2018. So he's had two springs Um, would have been three, but no spring practice this year. So, you know, he is experienced. He's been there a while. Um, He played in four games in 18, uh, saved the red shirt, got some action last season just against, you know, some teams in garbage time. So he's got an interesting delivery as well. He really, it looks like a mix between Phillip Rivers and Tim Tebow. It's very right. elongated, very pronounced. It seems somewhat slow, but I think this guy's going to be pretty good. 
Mendenhall really kind of compares him to Taysom Hill, who he coached back at BYU. So I would expect there's going to be a heavy emphasis on the run game, specifically kind of the option, um, you know, especially with, uh, you know, having some of the weapons that he does on offense. And it's going to be really a spread option offense, I feel like, with UVA under uh, Brendan Armstrong. So that is something to watch. I think getting him on the first game of the season um, should be helpful just because it's not a super easy matchup for him. Uh, It's his first career start. Um, But again, you know, limited tape on uh, Armstrong as far as the Hokies are concerned against, um, you know, potent competition or against first teamers. So, you know, it could work in either team's favor. Uh, you've got Terrell John, who's returning at receiver. You got Wayne Tuolapapa at running backs, who should be the starter. And uh, I think the big thing at receiver, Tim, is that there's a number of young guys uh, who are pretty unproven. So I think depth is a concern there. Uh, the run game wasn't strong last year outside of Perkins. I don't think it's going to be super strong this year either outside of Armstrong. Um, but, you know, will they be able to get a little bit more out of Tuolapapa? Will Mike Collins emerge as somebody who, you know, can be more relied on? Um, And they returned seven offensive linemen. So it wasn't a great group last year. Uh, Again, you know, we keep having all these, you know, below par offensive linemen return for these teams. So we'll see kind of what that turns into. But what's your your assessment of the UVA offense? Yeah, I mean, the UVA offense is going to be interesting this year for the very reason you mentioned, which is obviously Armstrong comes in. Um, no one will be Bryce Perkins, right? Well, what Bryce was able to do was unheralded. Um, and, and he, he quite literally had the team on his shoulders, uh, his entire reign at quarterback and impressively. So both, you know, through the air and, and especially on the ground, um, you get a guy like Armstrong, who's going to come in, plays the quarterback position a little differently. Um, but really I think what maybe some of the Hokie fans are underselling is just how good of a coaching staff is there. Uh, at UVA and know specifically how to maximize the type of quarterback that Armstrong is. So I I think any sort of deficiencies uh, that we mention as far as comparing Armstrong to Perkins, um, the gap will be slightly mitigated by the good coaching staff that is there. And and so there is some credence and some credit due um, in regards to Armstrong and and how that coaching will impact him. you know, I think obviously the biggest area is going to be wide receiver. Who steps up? Um, you know, losing your two biggest playmakers, Bryce Perkins, huge. But Joe Reed, uh, the closest thing to anything else on offense they had that was explosive is now gone. Um, so what do we see as far as explosiveness? Out wide, I don't see a whole lot. And I'm sure you totally agree with me on that front. Um, I remember that was one of our largest criticisms with UVA last year was the fact that you just didn't have those explosive playmakers on the edge. And I'm not sure I see them there this year, um, although I'm no expert on UVA's team, and I'm sure UVA fans will tell you different. Um, but to me, that's where you're going to have to see the biggest improvement um, is going to see who steps up as a playmaker for that offense. Um, running back, question marks abound, transfers abound for UVA. Um, who can step up and take the rock there? Um, so we're talking about two position groups now which aren't looking too great, which is running back, wide receiver. Um, you know, they're going to need playmakers because what they aren't, what they don't have, I think in Armstrong is a guy that's as dynamic 
as Bryce Perkins was in a playmaking standpoint. So a lot of that playmaking is going to now need to be picked up and the slack picked up by the running backs and the wide receivers. That's not to say Armstrong will be a playmaker. I think he will be, like I said, bolstered by that coaching staff. But um, it's just hard to imagine anyone living up anywhere close to Perkins' shoes from the dynamic playmaking standpoint. Um, now, you know, the last group there to touch on is the offensive line. And like you mentioned, everybody's back. They got a lot of starts as a group. Um, the only issue is the last time we saw them, they were not a good offensive line. How much does an offensive line improve in a year? And are you guaranteed to improve, um, just because you've started games? And we're, we're going to get some answers to those questions because, uh, a lot of people are saying the, the offensive line could be a strength for UVA this year. And I, I you know, I'm, I don't know how I feel about that given how they looked last time I saw them on the field. So, um, my overall impression of the offense is I don't think offense or I don't think quarterback is going to be quite the death blow that I think a lot of Hokies fans think it is. They see it as Bryce Perkins is gone. Therefore, UVA stands no chance, um, especially against the Hokies. But I, I'm not so sure. You know, I see a lot to like in the quarterback that is there and a lot to like in that coaching staff. Yeah, you know, defensively, uh, they're going to return 15 guys who started at least one game from last year. Um, so they lose Eli Handback on the defensive line, but added some young guys who look like they can take the next step. Uh, it's certainly the biggest question mark for the defense, so just line play on both sides. But otherwise, D is pretty rock solid. So they return their linebacking core. Uh, you know, dominated in the backfield last year. Big part of why they were ninth in the country with 46 sacks. Um, you know, secondary, another strength for this D, you know, even with losing Bryce Hall, who, you know, really missed the majority of last season because of an injury. Uh, so you've got Heskin Smith and Jalen Baker, who, you know, filled in for Hall. And so they're going to, you know, be taken over, you know, get more action. And then Joey Blunt, one of the best safeties in the ACC. And, uh, you know, you had a guy like Devontae Cross, who is kind of their, like Shamari Connor of the defense. He's going to play right. all over the field. Um, going to be a good group back there. So they've also got ACC twenty or the twenty seventeen ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year, Brendan Nelson. So uh, mm-hmm. look for him to be in the fold. But Tim, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, they don't have an out of conference game scheduled. They only play one game in September, which is weird. That's just you know, it's that's such a weird rhythm to try and get in. Um, but, you know, their must-wins for me are NC State, Wake, uh, Duke, and Boston College. Right. And so then they've got, to me, toss-up games, six of them. Florida State, North Carolina, at Miami, at Clemson. Or at Clemson's not a toss-up game. Um, and Virginia Tech. And then they have at yeah. Clemson. So, you know, how they fare in those games, like, I don't think... You know, I don't think they're going to lose every single one of them. I certainly don't think they're going to win. Um, and I think where they get them throughout the season is going to play kind of a big effect. But, you know, I think UVA could be a team that goes 6-4, and 7-3 uh, at best. Um, they could even go 5-5. Five and five. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think they have a lot of questions on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they're certainly well coached, so I think I will – trend closer to the seven and three than the five and five but um you know anything more than seven and three i'd be somewhat surprised yeah you know i I had him kind of pegged in my head as a six win um 
ball club. So, you know, certainly you could see them punch above and get seven or, or swing and miss a little bit and get five. You know, I, I think the key for me is I, I don't think we can undersell just how good their linebacking core is. You know, they run that 3-4 scheme, um, Snowden and Taylor off the edge, which is impressive because you consider the 3-4 scheme, which places an emphasis on generating pressure with your outside linebackers as opposed to your defensive ends like you would in the 4-3. So you got to have strong linebackers, especially in rushing ability. Um, and I think Charles Snowden is, is one of the best in the country. And obviously, no, Noah Taylor, no slouch there. Uh, but Zane Zandier sitting there in the middle cleaning everything up um, alongside Nick Jackson, man, it, it's one of, if not, and I'm pretty sure it is the best linebacking core in the ACC. Um, and you have that strong of a position group um, on defense, especially one as influential as linebacker. Um, you know, I think you can see the defense pick up for some slack that may be left by the offense. And that's where I'm struggling on the UVA pick. I want, I want to go ahead and say they're going to, they're going to have a winning record, you know, that they're going to be this seven win ball club, but it's just the offense just has a little too many question marks. And the, the funny part is it's not the quarterback. As I mentioned before, it's not the fact that Bryce Perkins is gone. That has me hesitating. It's we, we have to get a dynamic running back in there. We, we have to be able to find some playmakers on the edge. If you're a UVA fan, that's what you need to see. Not sure it's there yet. Um, you know, but anything can happen. And I think when we're sitting as Hokie fans sitting here, I think we're short selling UVA. I don't think we're giving them the credit that's due both program wise, how much they've improved. And I think talent wise, how much depth has been built in some cases. Um, And we sort of lobbed our poor performance against UVA right at the feet of Bryce Perkins to almost say, you know, the hell with that. Um, Bryce is the only thing good about that team. And while there's a lot of credence to say that and, and, and give Bryce Perkins all of the credit, um, you know, it's a team effort. And I, I think we forget the team part when we're looking at UVA a little bit. So, um, yeah, six, one ball club, I think, but you know, crazier things have happened, man. We'll see where they end up again. I think it's a team that they have a puncher's chance, uh, in just about every game that they're in. So, uh, they'll certainly take care of business against the lesser foes. You know, I think, you know, you know, maybe Duke sneaks up on them somehow. You know, they certainly could lose one of those games. So I think six, seven wins, that's that's a realistic assessment. But I do think Brennan Armstrong is a nice, uh, you know, step for to be coming off of the Bryce Perkins era. So you're yeah. not going to get Bryce Perkins, and- but you're going to get a pretty solid quarterback, I think. And I will say one last bit on UVA, and that is the mental side of what Armstrong is dealing with. Um, I think it is taxing, and it is a hard role to play to come into a university and fill the shoes of a legend. And I think Bryce Perkins is a legend, and those are some mighty big shoes. So, you know, a lot on Armstrong's plate from a performance standpoint, but also the mental side of it. Um, Whether or not he'll say that, there's a lot of pressure going on and, and being the next man up. Um, at UVA. So keep an eye on how he handles it. Uh, North Carolina. This is the last team we will go in depth on, uh, for lack of a better description. Seven and six last season, dominating the recruiting trail, returning 17 starters on offense and defense. You know, Tony Grimes, number one uh, commit for the 2020 class, recommitted to the 2020. Um, you know, they did have three defensive backs opt out for this season, including uh, our friend and former Hokie, Bryce Watts, but otherwise they're, uh, they're looking pretty good across the board. You know, offensively they got Sam Howe 
phenomenal freshman campaign, ACC Rookie of the Year, um, has all of his top returning targets. You know, I think there's six of them that are all coming back. So you've got Diami Brown and Daz Newsom who kind of lead that charge. You've got Michael Carter and Javante Williams in the backfield, two backs to look out for in 2020. They both almost had 1,000 yards rushing last season. They've got a pretty experienced O-line group coming back. Their biggest question mark is at tight end, who they didn't really utilize last season anyways. Defensively, some big departures on the defensive line with uh, Stalbridge going pro and Aaron Crawford graduating. Middle of the defense should be pretty good. You've got a uh, Chase Surratt-led linebacking core. You know, I think the secondary is going to be strong. You know, you had Storm Duck kind of thrust into action last season because of a number of injuries back there, and he ended up grading out as one of the top corners in the ACC. You've got Cameron yeah, Kelly. Uh, a lot of pressure there, but he certainly didn't quack. Wow. You just couldn't wait to get that one in there. I, I'm sorry. I have a problem. <laughs> Cameron Kelly, who uh, was the transfer from Auburn, who was granted immediate el- eligibility for some reason, uh, you know, but ended up getting hurt. Yeah. He's back. Uh, they've got Kyler McMichael, who transferred from Clemson, and then you throw in Tony Grimes. I think it's a pretty uh, interesting group in the defensive secondary. So. North Carolina, they're one of those teams who they lost a lot of close games last year. You know, they were a very young team. You know, they're coming back. They've got a lot of experience returning. They've got a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail. Uh, I certainly think they're immediate darling. I don't think they necessarily have the toughest uh, ACC schedule. You know, there's no Clemson on here. There's no Notre Dame. Or there is Notre Dame. So there's no, no Clemson. Um, but I don't know, Tim, what do you, uh, what do you think about North Carolina? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to think about North Carolina. That's for sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of hype surrounding them for good reason. As you mentioned, success on the recruiting trail would be an understatement, especially for that program to be where they are from a recruiting standpoint is, is quite something. Um, you know, and tying that in, it'll be interesting to see what Tony Grimes does, a guy that was probably number one on Virginia Tech's recruiting board um, at cornerback out of Virginia uh, to see him go from the 757 uh, to the 919 kind of hurts. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how well he's able to play, especially in a year earlier uh, than he was supposed to be enrolled. Um, we'll, we'll see what impact he's able to have, I think, on the side of the ball where they need the most help, obviously. Offensively, you're talking about, I think, the second-best team in the ACC. And that starts with Sam Howell. Everybody kind of knows what he did last year. Um, But that was just impressive work from a guy, you know, Florida decommits from Florida State, uh, goes into North Carolina with a lot of question marks, a new head coach, and just completely balls out. Um, You know, that that air raid attack under Phil Longo looked really good. Um, And Sam Howell seemed extremely comfortable flicking that rock around and, you know, it was um, it was quite a sight to see. But as you mentioned, I mean, Daz Newsom and Diami Brown look like prodigies out there, wide receiver, um, especially where the vertical passing game is is concerned. And um, you know, Diami Brown specifically, you know, average over twenty yards a catch. Um, you know, just rolling. That offense is completely rolling. Um, you know, this is a team that is bitter to say, um, because as as you know, if you know me personally, I am not a fan of UNC is set up to have some serious success. Now, I don't think they're anywhere near challenging Clemson. Um, I think they're right up there with 
just about anyone else that has a shout at that third or second place in the ACC, more like third or fourth, I would say, I think. You know, considering you've got a lot of teams that seem to be on the same level there, vying for second, Notre Dame, Miami, UNC, kind of all clamoring around there. Um, it's it's hard to to really pin where the ceiling is on this team because of how explosive and effective that offense is. Um, you know, the real questions come up on the defensive side of the football, and is uh, Surratt in the middle going to be enough to to really galvanize that team and? You know, I think a lot of that depends on what they get in the pass defense and what Tony Grimes can offer as a guy that I imagine is going to start day one for UNC. I mean, he seems ready um, from everything I've seen leading up into this point. And, you know, true freshman cornerback, that's that's going to be rolling the dice. But I think that's where uh, we are with North Carolina. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we've talked a lot about unknowns in this podcast position groups that maybe had unknowns and we didn't know quite how it was going to pan out. This whole offense for UNC is one big known quantity. Um, and they're a behemoth. So their four toughest games are against the two Virginia schools, Miami and Notre Dame. And, you know, they all provide different challenges. If you call last year, um, you know, we had like a six overtime game with, uh, North Carolina, Virginia tech. That is, you know, there's games in here that they should win, NC State, Duke, Florida State. It feels like North Carolina always loses one of those three. So, yeah. um, you know, who's going to catch them this year? You've got Syracuse, Charlotte, Boston College, and Wake. I also think last year, you know, part of, you know, what was going on with North Carolina is they somewhat were like a Louisville where nobody thought they were going to be as competitive as they were. And I don't say as good because they were a pretty average team last year, um, if you look at it. But they were certainly good enough to compete in games and, you know, win some of them. So can they take that next step this year? They've got the most favorable schedule in the ACC. Um, I see eight wins at most. Um, I, I don't think they beat... I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think they go any better than two and two in the stretch of Virginia Tech, UVA, Notre Dame, and Miami. And right. I think they lose to an NC State, Duke, or FSU. So, yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at on North Carolina. You know, BC could be an interesting one as well, depending on you know what happens with them at the quarterback position. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting uh, season for Mac Brown and uh, and that crew. But you know, either way, I think uh, no matter how many times they win, they're still going to win on that recruiting trail. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Mac Brown is a force, and he proved it at Texas. And you just kind of look at the guy he was as a broadcaster and the kind of person he is. He's got just the right mix of uh, Southern preacher and used car salesman. Um, you know, to really make a great blend on that trail. And, you know, he seems for all accounts uh, to be a pretty good guy as, uh, you know, hard as that is for me to say. So, you know, UNC, uh, I want to stop paying them compliments. So I think we move on from UNC, but I agree. I think it's an eight win team, Um, you know, but if, if we're sitting here at the end of the year and they have two ACC losses, I wouldn't be super surprised. No. Um, just because we, we know what that offense is capable of. And it's just a matter of enough things going right on that defensive side of the ball for you to sit back here and say, yep, that, that makes sense. Uh, so other group 
the, the basically the next tier of ACC teams. So we're going to run through these quick. Uh, NC State, you know, important year for Dave Doran. Seems to have lost the room after a 4-8 and eight campaign. Still no obvious suitor at quarterback, which is major cause for concern. You know, injury bug ran rampant through the program last year. Offensively, mm-hmm. outside of quarterback, you know, they've got some nice playmakers at running back in uh, Bam Knight and Jordan Houston. A pretty good group of receivers if uh, if they can actually get the ball. But a lot of questions on defense. So, Tim, I think it's going to be a long season for the Wolfpack again. But is there anything to be optimistic about? I think so. So I think a lot of issues last year were attributed to two things. One, first foremost, injuries. Um, you know, I've, I've followed NC State fairly closely for 32 years. Um, and and I've never seen a year like that from an injury standpoint. So, you know, a lot of that gets overlooked as no one likes to make exclusives or exclusives, excuses. Um, but that was just a fact. The injuries were brutal. And two, I thought the the coordinators, both both sides of the ball were tragic. Um, one, you saw Dave Huxtable, defensive coordinator, who had been slipping for about three years, downward trend. Finally, that bubble burst. Uh, Tony Gibson steps in, running the same three-three-five stack that they ran last year, except he's responsible for the scheming and the play calling now, which is good. Tony's a proven quantity. Um, you know, had had a, a pretty couple pretty good years in the Big Twelve with West Virginia, and then you get a guy that thinks is going to make the biggest impact on the team, and that's Tim Beck, uh, Ohio State, Texas. Uh, Nebraska, famously when T-Magic Taylor Martinez was there, um, you know, you get a guy like Tim Beck who's been around, knows offensive football probably better than most, um, and will be able to right the ship, I think, to a an acceptable level in his first year regardless of the quarterback situation because I do think Devin Leary is talented enough to 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 get that team to at least an average level of offensive success. I don't think NC State's going to be world beaters. I think those two changes at offensive and defensive coordinator are going to be huge. Um, I think my favorite assistant coach in all of football, Charlie Wiles, is going to have a decent enough first year with the Wolfpack. Um, and I see them five win, four to five win football team. So, you know, not great, but given the schedule, given where they were last year, I think that would be seen as a kind of just a, a step in a slightly positive direction. Syracuse, you know, just I, I just had a question here. Can D- Dino Babers get the program back on track? You know, 2018 was a great cool. year. 2019 was a disaster. Uh, the Tommy DeVito development is the biggest question mark of that team. Big time recruit hasn't put it together yet. Looked lost at times. You know, big concerns for Syracuse heading into the season. Yeah, I think the DeVito bubble burst um, and Dino Babers bubble burst with it. I just you know when I saw him last year, I didn't see it. I don't know what it is, but I didn't see it, um, and I expect to see more of the same. Boston College is an interesting team. You know, new head coach and Jeff Halfley, former co-defensive coordinator Ohio State. He's the new head dog. BC went 44-44 and 44 under Coach Adazio in the last seven years, six bowl appearances. So, you know, at least he brought consistency. Um Halfley's going to try to be a little bit better than that. So, no A.J. Dillon this year. Go Pack Go. Anthony Brown transferred to Oregon. No Adazio. But I think we can all just hope that BC has a bunch of guys being dudes who can take a jump in 2020. So I think David Bailey showed he could be a workhorse back in the run game. But, you know, I think quarterback is an interesting position. Um, I don't think it's going to be Dennis Grossell. I think we saw enough of him last year. 
Uh, Phil Jerkovich, the transfer over from Notre Dame, former four-star dual-threat quarterback. Um, if he comes in and plays really well, I think Boston College could uh, could win a few games this year. But, um, you know, I think it's a defense that should be pretty solid. I think that quarterback position, if they get it figured out, if, if Phil's the guy, then, um, you know, maybe Boston College is a little bit more interesting than we're we're giving them credit for right now. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I still say as long as the lab that creates genetically creates those cloned workhorse running backs remains in Chestnut Hill, they're going to be just fine. Harris, I think, looked the part, um, had a couple tremendous games last year. And as you said, Jerkovich is the key. What he's able to give them is going to determine the, the course of their season. Wake Forest. So lost Jamie Newman to Georgia, which was kind of a surprise. Um, but... You know, they still have Sam Hartman, which, you know, typically teams don't have two quarterbacks. Wake just happened to. So Sam is a guy who has played pretty well over the course of his career, got hurt, opened the door for Newman, and, you know, he didn't relish the rain. So uh, he's more than capable. However, you know, he's without his two targets, two top targets from last year in James Washington um, and then Sage Surratt, who just recently opted out. So you know, Clawson's done a really good job of building Wake into a consistent winner, competitive program, uh, but a lot of losses from last year's team. Starting quarterback, leading rusher, top two receivers, three starters along the offensive line, his tight end, his best linebacker's gone, and his two starting cornerbacks. That is a lot to make up. Wake has been pretty bad on defense. I think it's going to be an up-and-down year for Wake. I don't think they're necessarily going to catch any team sleeping, um, but should still be a somewhat competitive offense, but I think they're just going to be overmatched for a lot of the season. Yeah, it, too much friction from attrition for Wake. I, I, I don't think that it's going to go smoothly for them. Um, really, I think one of the biggest issues, too, as you mentioned, is losing those playmakers out wide, specifically Surratt. Sage was so good. Um, and, and I think, you know, similar to what we talked about with UVA, I think that lack of playmaking ability is going to hurt them because Sam Hartman isn't the put the team on the back kind of guy like, say, Bryce Perkins was. Um, you kind of know what you're going to get from him, and it's not going to be that. So it, he's not going to have the backs to lean on, not going to have the wide receivers to lean on. There you have a lot of unanswered questions. The playmaking category, a lot of people went missing, and, and I think Clawson can scheme his way into an average offense but that's not going to be enough to make up for the average defense. And that that's a, you know, three win football team in my mind. Duke, David Cutcliffe has taken over play calling for 2020 and he's got a new quarterback to do it with. And Chase Bryce, who came over from Clemson. So if you remember Chase, <laughs> his uh, career highlight was bringing Clemson back against Syracuse in 2018 after uh, Lawrence left the game injured, which uh, basically, uh, you know, secured or, continued their undefeated season and you know they went on to win the yep. national championship so I think Duke is actually going to be okay offensively um, I like Chase Bryce I think he's going to be a uh, a big upgrade um, over what they had last season and you know it's going to be interesting to see what Cutcliffe can do from a play calling standpoint so um, they've got experience returning uh, pretty much at every area on offense which always helps their D was solid last year, likely going to take a step back this year. A lot of question marks at linebacker, some holes on the D-line. Uh, secondary is fairly intact, but, you know, I think this is certainly a team that can pull an upset or two, but probably finishes around five to six wins. Yeah, and I think five to six is a little generous for me. I think they're around four. I, I think Chase Bryce is, um, you know, he's got some talent. I don't think he's going to be... 
quite the revelation that Duke needs from that quarterback position, although I think he'll be you know certainly serviceable. It'll be interesting to see what that offense looks like with Cutcliffe kind of channeling uh, his early 2000s Ole Miss days and seeing what he can do from an offensive calling, play calling standpoint. Um, but, you know, Duke will, Duke will be fun this year, and it'll be really cool to see what Chase Bryce can do totally given the reins because I think that was always kind of – a thought in the back of everyone's mind when they see him in limited action, hear about him in practice and how well he's playing, but he's behind one of the best quarterbacks the NCAA has seen in recent history. And and now we'll get to see how he performs as a blue devil. And then last and certainly least is Georgia tech. So (laughs) (laughs) sorry. Nice. Sorry. (laughs) It's late. It's late. (laughs) Defense is, uh, is basically their only shot to win games this year. And, you know, it's it's still too much transition on the offensive side of the ball to be competitive consistently. Uh, so it's just going to be another young, long year for the Yellow Jackets. So just like the preview, Clemson is good. Georgia Tech is bad. That's basically all we've got to say about that one. Yeah, the rambling wreck indeed. Indeed, indeed. So, Tim... Why don't we go ahead and pick our two finalists to play in the ACC championship game? So, uh, Clemson, and who do you got them going up against? I have Clemson going up against Miami. Miami. Okay, interesting. Um, I'm not going to say Notre Dame, just because everybody else is. I think it's going to be interesting. You know, uh, optimistic me wants to say Virginia Tech is in it um, heading into the Clemson matchup. Um, But I think the key is for the rest of the ACC is Notre Dame has basically been set on cruise control to get there as the second uh, attendee with the schedule that they have. So basically everybody needs to shoot for no more than two conference losses to have a realistic shot. And so... What team do I think has the best chance of doing that? I don't think it's Miami. I just, culturally, I don't think it's there. I don't think Manny Diaz is uh, the right fit for whatever reason. I do think they have some nice talent on offense, um, you know, in key positions like quarterback that they haven't in the past, which could be the difference, but it's Miami. You know, they just, they find a way to blow it. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards, um, I guess I'm going to say Virginia Tech um, in, a, in a shocker. But, you know, I think if I'm being honest with myself, it'll be Notre Dame um, just because of their schedule. Like I said, I'm, I'm not super high on Notre Dame, but I just I think they got a really good slate. Um, but if uh, Virginia Tech can perform at the level that we think they will, uh, I feel like it's certainly a team that's being overlooked in the media that's being almost – you know, dare I say insulted a bit, uh, for some of the national media guys, like people saying that they're going to have four wins. I I don't know how you can look at the team and say that they're going to have four wins. Um, I, I just don't, I don't see how you're coming up with that number, um, without, you know, you having some kind of transgression against the program for some reason, or you just don't like Fuente. I don't know what it is. Um, but that's not a four win football team. I can guarantee you that. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I just hope we get to that point to where we're watching a ACC championship game in late December, right mm-hmm. before Christmas time. How great would that be? But um, perfect. You know, hey, this was a long one, but I think I think we got it all in there. So, 
that's yeah. our show for today. Uh, Tim, any final words before we wrap this one up? Man, I'm just excited. I'm excited. And everybody, um, you know, get ready for some football on Thursday, right? I mean, that's going to be the official kickoff of the FCS or the FBS teams. Um, so enjoy it. I mean, j- just be thankful and cherish every football game you get to see this year because it wasn't too long ago. Um, we were sitting here saying there's no way we get football in the fall. So um, it seems, at least at this point, that uh, it's imminent. And uh, let's enjoy it, man. I'm excited to get this thing going. So that's our show. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. You can basically listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. But, Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Tell your friends. Spread the word. Let them know about the podcast. Uh, Drop our name. See if you can hook them up on automatic downloads and subscribe to the podcast. That's the biggest biggest thing. Please subscribe. Um, That'll help us out. Leave a review. That also helps. Um, you know, we like hearing from you guys, so feel free to interact with us on Twitter. We've got a fairly active social media page, um, as well as following me individually and Justin individually, um, highly recommended. And if you just look at the interactions on our Twitter page, Shouter and Grits, uh, you'll be able to see, I think our names, but I'm at Timmy Jim on Twitter, um, with two M's and, uh, Justin, what's your handle again? It's, it's Coachiola. Perfect. Yeah. So easy no to need spell. to spell that. Yeah. <laughs> no need to spell it. it. Yeah. Just just browse. Browse hey, the timeline of Chowder and Grits. Come on. Let's let's fill lane with cardboard. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> I need to. I need to. I thought about putting Audrey in there or something like that. I, I need to go ahead and, and get something going in the stadium, though. You're right about that. Absolutely. So that's our show, guys. We will be with you next week as we inch closer to the season. But have a good one. See you guys later. <laughs>